Welcome to the latest edition of Hear That Podcast. Growling Paul Daner Jr., Jay Morrison of The Athletic are here with you, and it's almost it's almost here. Almost. So we're so close you can taste it. <laughs> it's just crawling though at this point. Oh. I just wanted to end. You know, we be, with the whole being with the number one pick and the Joe Burrow and the controversy and everything else that has gone on with the draft conversation this year. There is no doubt this feels like the most exhausting draft run up process I've ever been a part of as a, as a beat writer, uh, covering this team or any other. I, it, this was truly an exercise in exhaustion that I, I'm just happy to still be standing. Well, I'm sitting, but yeah, I wonder what you know. Yeah, <laughs> had Tua not got hurt, this it would have been really fascinating. The whole Tua versus Burrow debate. Maybe there wouldn't have been a debate. Maybe Tua would have looked like the consensus, but it would have been interesting where it wasn't just that obvious, obvious to us, not so obvious to people outside. But had it not had it not been. This, this, okay, this is what they're doing. We know what they're doing. Focusing on rounds two through seven. Um, I, I don't, I just wonder what, what the whole thing would have looked like, felt like for us if Tua was in play at one. I still think it would have been Burrow and probably pretty clearly, but we'll never know because that the injury issues is a part of the, the Tua evaluation, you know, so you end up. That's that's part of that world. Is if you're in the Tua world, then you're worried about that, and that's not an issue. At least it hasn't been uh, with Joe Burrow. We got a lot to get. We got a lot to get to. Um, I do want to talk about the Joe Burrow narrative that has officially done the full circle. Back the roller coaster went out. Many vomited, and it came back to the station. <laughs> <laughs> it, it officially is back into the station where it started with everybody coming back. The truth has officially risen. Uh, I'd want to talk about that process and watching it all happen from sort of from the station. Uh, we should discuss Andy Dalton's um, re-emergence a little bit uh, into whether it be social media or talking a little bit uh, and, and what that is and, and kind of just re-engaging with the conversation about what to expect with him this weekend. We want to talk about a few players that we love for the Bengals that, you know, through our draft strategy series, which all 10 of those are out now. Um, what I think we ended up around 22,000 words and about like maybe 11 to 12 charts, many man hours consumed, uh, in the strategy series. Uh, thanks to everybody that helped Joe Goodberry. Thanks to him, Dane Brugler, who were a part of each one of those for video and audio content. Mike Renner, uh, who you've heard th- those guys on the podcast in recent weeks. Um, everybody at PFF, uh, very helpful. Um, but yeah, it, it's, there's, there's just, uh, we've come across some guys that we really love as Bengals fits during all of that. I want to talk about a few of those that we found. Um, Jay's got stats, as you might imagine. And then, uh, we're going to bring in our old friend, Brody Miller, uh, who covered LSU through their incredible run last year for us at the athletic. We had him on back. It was like late November. 
um, when the Burrow and the Bengals thing was really starting to come together. And I told him then we would have it back on as this thing came closer. And so, well, we were almost out of time. And this was a great conversation. I, there were two incredible Joe Burrow stories I had never heard before, and I guarantee you, you will love hearing one that include a very dramatic f bomb, and I'm proud of Brody for firing it off. Uh, but it, honestly, really enlightening look into some of the aspects of Joe Burrow that we talk about that I had not heard before, and I was glad Brody he even admitted this is something that only Bengals fans will get because he'd not told this story before. How's that for a teaser? Hmm. Um. Yeah. And I had Brody give me insight on the other LSU Tigers that maybe would be the best ones to come along with Joe Burrow. A little more insight into Patrick Queen and some of the other um, names that you hear from that LSU team connected to pot potentially hit the Bengals. So really great stuff with Brody. It's like 20 minutes long, and all of it's great. So thanks to Brody for joining. You'll hear that coming up later in this pod. We'll play Run Passer Boot, Talk Trades. And hopefully the guys who are fixing the roof next door to me will take a break. <laughs> we shall see. Jeez, how long has that been? All week. All week. It's a complete reconstruct. It's not good. Um, let's talk about Joe Burrow. I, hey, Carson Palmer resurfaced and he took it all back. <laughs> He's not alone. No, yeah, it's funny. We, we were inundated for months. With Joe Burrow doesn't want to play for the Bengals. Everybody says that Joe Burrow's trying to get out of it. Uh, why would they do it? The Bengals are trash. They've got nobody. Everything, every talking mouth to every, every agent was dropping to all of their people they could get to try to turn the national narrative. They got to trade everything else. Now everybody takes it all back. Even Carson Palmer's like, oh, that was never a thing. No, Joe Burrow, he's playing for his hometown team. It's great for him. All it's it's all fully backtracked. Just like we've told you the entire time. I it's been funny to watch it become so apparent in recent weeks how fabricated that was by teams, by agents, by everybody else trying to find some way to force talk to push the Bengals around and maybe out of that pick. You would assume most of it coming from uh, the 305 area code uh, in Miami. Even Vegas is on board with it. Have you seen what the odds are for Joe to be the number one overall? I have not. You have to wager $1,000 to win $1. (laughs) <laughs> in for Joe Burrow to be the number one overall pick. It is that much of a sure thing at this point. Man, I wish I knew some sort of really well-kept secret at this point. <laughs> Chase Young! No. Uh, I, I wish. I wish I did. But it's, it's just, it's, it's just really fascinating because, you know, from going all the way back to the combine where we had to, you know, I had to stock my position to ask the question that no one was asking of Joe Burrow because everyone was too busy trying to parse through words and make things happen and make things sound a certain way to him saying, yeah, I'm not going to not play. I'm gonna, whoever takes me. And that narrative was made, made up by people. And no matter how many times his family, no matter how many times Burrow or whoever said it, no one would listening. Everyone would keep trying to churn their own thing. And, you know, everybody was trying to work for the Dolphins at that point. Uh, we've ended up here where everyone is in full understanding 
of what that was. And it's it's kind of interesting to, to watch, to have sat here the whole time and, and watched how teams do try to play that game. I mean, you, you see it using every avenue possible to try to move the narrative to how whatever they want it to be, however they think that agenda could help them. I want to go back to your vomitous roller coaster <laughs> analogy. Who's the guy sitting in the front seat throwing salt in people's oh. mouths? <laughs> well, isn't it, isn't it, it's not you, right? If you claim that's not you. No. I mean. I've never done anything like uh, that. Chris Greer, right? Dolphins GM, <laughs> I would think. Yeah. He's up there. He's up there. I would, I would think there's probably, uh, you know, some other people that, that he's connected to. This, that's, that's speculation on my part. Do I know that? No. Do I know he would be the one who would want to do that and clearly was trying to make that happen as they obviously were going to try to find ways to move up? Uh, yeah. And they had to try to see if they could find a crack. It's like Survivor, Jay. It always is like Survivor, which is having a great season, by the way, for anyone that is looking for something to watch. Best ever. Winners at War is incredible right now. But I will say that all you try to do, what do you do when you know you are you are screwed and your plan is not going to work? You create chaos and try to find a crack. And that's what happened. Chris Greer's out here. He's just he's just Boston Rob. He's just trying to, it's just, or Sandra. or Sandra, create chaos and try to find a crack. That's all it was. All it was was a full episode of Survivor. And at the end, on Thursday night, you know where I'm going with this. The tribe has spoken. That's it. Roger Goodell is Jeff. The Brooks. votes are the votes. At the end of the day, the votes are the votes. And, and the Bengals, assuming their internet connection holds up, uh, will be selecting Joe Burrow. <laughs> uh, which by the way, the, of course the glitch happened on the Bengals pick. Uh, apparently had nothing to do with them. It was like part of a trade. Uh, it's just, it just brings out everybody's AOL Mike Brown joke out of the closet, which I want that. I do want to see, I want Mike Brown on a Zoom this weekend because I want to, I want to analyze his backdrop. I would love, first of all, in general, as a just a general thing, I would love to see Mike Brown's bookshelves. The dude's as well read as anybody you will ever come across, and he, the, what he knows stuff about is always amazing to me. So I I would love to peruse some of his favorite books. That actually might be a good if I could ever get Mike on a for a podcast. That's what I would do. Would, I would just want to stand in front of his bookshelf and him tell me about his favorite books. Uh you might not listen to that, but I would find it fascinating. <laughs> um. <laughs> But anyway, let's 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 move on. We're gonna get into picks they love and stuff. I, you should talk about Dalton here at the top. Uh, Andy comes out um, and sort of talking a little bit about you know there's still a scenario for him to come back to the Bengals. Um, he's just kind of hanging out and taking it all in. He's not worried about it. I, nothing groundbreaking has been said. Um, you know, he had some incredible video of his pinpoint accuracy in the backyard with his kids. Um, good work back there. He's pushing sleds back there. Did you see the pushing sleds Dalton video? I did, and I saw the, the squats that he was doing, the barbell squats, but I did not see the sled push. Yeah, is that perfectly manicured grass or turf? Ooh. Well, you could kind of tell in the in the when he was throwing the footballs, it looked real. 
It looked like real shout out Shout out him or whoever he employs to do his yard. Great yard. Looking good. Of course, you can do that in Dallas. But anyway. And I bet he's got a guy. He's he's definitely got a guy. But shout out to them, whoever his service is. If you're in the Dallas area, you might want to know. What did you make of that, Jay? Did you, do you, did anything stick out about that to you? Yeah, not buying it at all. I am, I am buying that he's at peace and, and he's, that's just who he is, his faith and he's, he's willing to see whatever ha- or accept whatever happens. But it, it, the part about there being a path for him to come back to the Bengals just felt forced and manufactured for, for so long we've, We've talked about it. they're either trading him during the draft or they're going to cut him. That's that. That's all there is. And if if he's hoping to be traded, and if the Bengals are hoping to trade him for something or anything, you want to you want to knock down that that either or situation and, and throw in the third variable where maybe he does come back to the team. Um, I, I just can't see it happening. Uh, he would have to take a huge pay cut to even make it work. I don't know if he'd be willing to do that. Um, it, this just feels like they're they're throwing something out there, letting other teams know that hey, if you do have an interest in him, you're not going to necessarily be able just to sit around and wait till the end of the draft and wait for the Bengals to cut him and then pick him up and sign him cheap. That that if you want him, make an offer. That that is a fantastic point. You know, we what do we know here? We know that Andy Dalton and the Bengals have continued to have a very good relationship between Duke, mm-hmm. Duke Tobin, Zach Taylor, everybody there have, have talked openly about that. They've said the communication lines have been open. And the problem the Bengals are running into is people assume they're going to cut him. That's where, that's where they're at in making this trade happen. And it's conducive for the, for Andy Dalton and the Bengals that that doesn't happen, that someone take on his contract. Otherwise, if they cut him, how much money is Andy Dalton getting? Half, maybe? Is that 17? People thinking that Andy Dalton can come back to the Bengals could be worth 8 to $9 million for Andy Dalton. There is reason for him to reach out to NFL media, to put a bunch of stuff on social, to re- re-engage. There are 8 to $9 million reasons for him to do that for teams to really think that the Bengals would keep Andy Dalton around now again they had to sign their draft picks and then they would be right up against it I can't see a scenario where they're in the regular season without crazy cap gymnastics that they can make that happen like the, the money that they spent where they're at on the cap Andy Dalton keep like it's really hard to see a scenario where he's here in the regular season, like and them not go over the cap, um, which they can't do. So I, you know, for that reason, I, you know, I think that is the end game here. But they want to have a feeling that they're willing to make whatever moves they need to make for people to think they would keep Andy around, if even if just for trade purposes. Now. Maybe they do do that. Maybe that's worth it. Maybe cutting a Sean Williams and somebody else is worth it in their mind to create enough room to keep him so they could do a trade in season next year or whenever. You know, I, it just gets really complicated. The easiest way out of this, the best case scenario for them is whoever is willing to take on that contract and will actually make a trade or how much do the Bengals have to eat. 
Um, yeah, and the, what, how much the Bengals have to eat is one thing. That for Andy, obviously, it makes sense if if he gets traded, he's getting seventeen point seven million this year. Exactly, it's not the bet that the team that gets him is not paying at all. It's going to be split between him and that team and the Bengals. But if if he is traded, he that and I mean, unless he were to renegotiate with a new team, and I, that doesn't seem likely. So just the whole timing of it, it, you know, it wasn't like he's been out there all along just to pop up with with those type of things the week leading up to the draft. It just it it, it felt manufactured to me. I don't know. Maybe other teams see through it as well, but. It will be interesting to see. I, I still think, you know, on our tandem mock, you had them getting a fifth-round pick for him. I, I think that's realistic. Um, it, obviously, the Bengals are going to be motivated to get whatever they can for him. It's just it's it's unfortunate for Andy that the way the, the carousel has spun, there's no starting jobs out there, um, which even if the, a team were to cut – if the Bengals were to cut him and a team were to pick him up – how much are you going to pay a guy that you're bringing in as a backup quarterback? Uh, there, there's just the best case scenario for Andy is to get traded and keep that contract, and and I think that's why we saw what we saw this week. Yeah, I mean, Jacksonville does appear the most likely scenario. I mean, you still mm-hmm. have New England and L.A. out there. Um, even I mean, Miami has Fitz, Fitzy, so you're that are all going to be in the quarterback game that could miss on what they want. But you're, I mean, it just it just seems unlikely that you're going to get anybody to really take on that contract. It's just, in the Bengals' conversations with themselves: is do they do they want to just eat money for a pick? Because otherwise, they could just let him go and let Andy go. Probably sign with a Jacksonville for whatever he signs for. So, but the bottom line is what you said, Jay. It's in everybody's best interest that they trade him and he get all that money. So any way that they can work together to make that happen, they would do it. And that's you're right. I mean, that's exactly what a lot of this felt like uh, to me. Uh, before we jump in to Jay's Got Stats and bring in Brody Miller to talk about Burrow uh, and some of the LSU people, which, again, this is a really great conversation, Brody Miller. Let's talk about a few of the guys that we have loved at, for the Bengals fit as we have gone through this draft strategy series. And again, in case you didn't know, we do have a 90-day free trial going on right now. Um, so come take a spin for three months, and you get all you can read all the strategies here. And there is so much good stuff. The consensus big board is fantastic. All of Dane Brugler's work is incredible. You know, there's just there I can hardly even keep up right now. There's so much great uh, draft stuff up on the site. Um, so if you if you want access to that, it's free for 90 days. Just hop on and see if you like it. And we hope at the end you'd want to stay. And if you don't, then I hope you enjoyed your your brief uh, foray in. Um, Give me uh give me give me one. Give me give me one off the top of your head right now. What do you uh who's somebody that through this process that you have loved for the Bengals? Uh well one we I, we both loved. We both agreed on on our mock was Akeem Davis Geither, the linebacker from At- Appalachian State. I you know if if Murray or Queen are there in the second at the top of the second round, the Bengals stay put, take one of them. It doesn't feel like that's going to be the case. And with all those options at wide receiver, you know, we, we've talked for so long about not not doing the same thing again and <clears throat> waiting till the third round to get a linebacker, but it it just it feels like that's the way it's going to play out, and and I think that would be a really good third round pick. Um, 
if, if that's the way it plays out, if they go Burrow wide receiver. I like that. Um, I, I, I have had the man crush on Denzel Mims uh, for a long time now, mm-hmm. and he he feels like he fits every trait that the Bengals can hit perfectly with in that spot, which would, you know, 33 or potentially if they did trade back some, maybe he's still there at that point. It's interesting. Uh, speaking of stuff to go on and read, Bob McGinn's series that he does every year is incredible. It's incredible again this year. It's inside info, scouts, evaluators giving true anonymous opinion on all of these guys. And he has one for every position. And the receiver one, I thought it was interesting how many people put him in the, the boom or bust candidate section. I mean, there's very, there's very much a thought of people wondering how much it's going to translate. I, if you if you have time and you're interested, I that stuff is 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 really really good insight. Um, but you know, there's some things that people don't like. I just look. He seems to fit this offense great. He's got the speed and the playmaking over the top. You, I, I love his tenacity. They know his personality really well. Um, you know, they need the over the top guy. They need a guy who can catch and run a little bit. You know, he just seems to do it all for them. He's, you know, he's tall. He's got some AJ Green tendencies to his game. And when you talk about some of that stuff, as far as you know, his, his you know, his size. Um, I just, I just like Mims. And, and when we get, you're, you know, you're, you're trying to pick and choose between all these receivers. It's really is a matter of finding what is the exact fit that you want on your team. And for a Bengals perspective. I think he is the best of the bunch that would be in their range. Obviously, you'd love Jerry Judy or whoever, but um, I think he's the best of the bunch as far as fitting them. So I'm 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 all on. I'm still deep into my man crushes on Denzel Mims. It was a great point you made in in your piece today on the the draft strategy on wide receivers about the the connection there where where Bob Bicknell coached him. Yeah, Baylor. they know him. That, I mean, that, that 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 is so valuable to to have had a coach on your staff that worked with a guy day in and day out. And now I think Bob was just there for a year, right? He didn't he didn't recruit Denzel. No, but he but he, co- he did coach him. But he worked with him that whole season in 2017. And I, I just I, I think that it just that is a a makes him an even better fit beyond the the skills and the talent that he could bring to this offense. Yeah. And his 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 run up to the draft his, was really a special one where he kind of he yeah. really erased a lot of doubts about his game, particularly the way he played uh, at the Senior Bowl. Um, who's another guy that you that you really liked? All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna totally pivot here. I I didn't write about this guy in the linebacker piece. Um, I I can't remember if he was even there when we did our mock draft. But the more I've been looking, I've been like, you know, rerunning some things, and and I, I still feel like the Bengals are going to go take two linebackers in, in this draft, and I don't think it's going to be a throwaway sixth or seventh round pick. I, I think they're going to get them pretty close together. And uh, Tanner Muse from Clemson, yeah, um, I, he's a guy that I think is going to be there in the on the third day. Um, you get a guy that is a um, starter for that many games for one of the best defenses in the country, a defense that sends player after player after player to the NFL. Um, he, he's not ideal 
in terms of coverage, but he did lead Clemson in interceptions, and he ran a 4.4140. He can run. Um, I just I think that's a really good fit. If he's sitting there at to kick off day three to start the fourth round, you know, I, I could see them doing that, going Davis Geither in the third round and Tanner Muse in the fourth round. I like that. Um, I, I will just say this name because uh, for this reason, Peter, Peter King did his mock draft, and he's pretty open about it. He does one a year. He tries to use as much intel as he can, and he's as plugged in as anybody. So it's it's worth noting. Um, I was st- It's one of the first times I've seen this. Patrick Queen's still available at 33. Pro Football Focus has Patrick Queen. Uh, I think Mike Renner's board had him about 40. Those are the only spots I've really seen it where where Queen is around at 33. And it brought up an interesting conversation, which is if you had Queen, I think, you know, Mims was still there. There were a bunch of the receivers there in Peter King's scenario. If that's the case, and that's why I'm really excited. You know, we're going to be doing a podcast each night of the draft so you can come back and you'll, you'll have these. I'm really interested when we see what the universe of players is there at 33. If a guy, you know, where is, who is worth it? And who do you trade? Is it not worth it enough to not trade back and see if they slide and go with somebody else otherwise? To me, Queen is worth it. Queen, I'm staying. Queen, I'm not moving. Because I, first of all, I don't think he would last very far if he was still there at 33. But I just, he's, if he was there at 33, man, that just seems like a perfect, and that is a best case scenario for this team if, if that's the case. Yeah, the, uh, the athletic beat writers had a mock today and, um, I texted our old friend Catherine Terrell and told her she just pissed off all Bengal fans because she took, uh, Patrick Queen and, and kept him in Louisiana for the Saints. Um, I, I don't, you're right. That is the only one I've seen where he makes it to the second round, the Peter King one. I don't think that'll happen. And, uh, if it does, that they, they do. They jump and they get him because at wide receiver, if your guy's not there, there's other ones to fall back to. That's not really the case. Uh, you're, you're probably not going to get another impact linebacker like that in the second round without reaching. You can whoever you get at that point, you could probably get in the third round. Yeah, not so at that level. I, I love that too. If if if, if he's there, yeah, no, I agree. I agree on that. Um, so with that, I will also add in. I'll and, and this is all this is all setting up the Brody Miller conversation. Thad Moss. <laughs> He is apparently, as you're about to find out, one of Joe Burrow's best friends and reliable target, didn't drop passes, pretty solid as a, you know, as a, as a blocker too. coming into a tight end room where they're not asking a ton of them. But, uh, you know, bringing in somebody who's one of Joe Burrow's best friends with reliable hands in a tight end room, they love the guys that can do it all. Not necessarily a high end receiver or a high end blocker. They just want to make sure that you're a jack of all trades. A guy like Thad Moss and has that connection with your franchise quarterback coming here. I want some piece of that Tigers magic coming with Joe. Um, he seems like the perfect one to try to pull it off. So I'll, 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 I'd be in love with Thad Moss because he'll also be very accessible late in his draft. Round six. Go for it. You know, if that's where he is, I don't think he's going to be an early pick. I like I like that snug fit for the you know your entire locker room. If that happens, I am doing a celebratory shot of Jaegermeister because <laughs> I had no reason. 
at the combine, I just happened to walk by his podium when he was having his interview, and and he is he was so impressive. He was the most impressive prospect, even as great as Burrow was on that podium. Um, Moss was was so good, personality, depth of answers, um, the, the respect he showed the reporters. If if uh, beyond what he can do on the field, if the Bengals draft him, he is a huge win for us. And for the community, really, he's probably a guy that's, that would be out there and, and doing things. I just, I, I just, I fell in love with his personality, and I would be thrilled if, if that guy ended up in the. And line. really, it's all that matters. Scribe wins. Yeah. We're here for scribe wins only. All right, Joe Burrow, scribe win. Root. They get Thad Moss, scribe win. You know why else? Because we're dialing up Randy Moss immediately. Scribe win. You know, and <laughs> and right. we're Randy Moss at the game. Scribe win. Okay, that's and that's what this is all about. This is all about scribe wins. Uh, do you have? Well, you have another one? Uh, no. I, I'll all right, I, I'll, I'll I'll make Moss mine too. Yeah. Uh, I have. I will add in one more, uh, and that would be uh, Louisiana offensive lineman Robert Hunt. I I for the fit for Jim Turner, the type of guys they want, the kind of players they are lacking at. Guard and he would be the guard slash tackle. He played a tackle, uh, there at Louisiana, but he projects as an NFL guard. He's 323 pounds. He's a powerful finisher. Uh, all these things that they lack. They didn't have enough power in their run game to do pa- the power run game they wanted to do last year. It was a problem. Um, I, you know, I, I know the signings that they made and the hope they have for Michael Jordan. I would like to add a whole lot of insurance there and make that be a position of depth and not one of hope. And, uh, Robert Hunt, you know, if he's still there at, at 65 is a, a very enticing prospect for me to really help solidify an offensive line, which is something that they need to not ignore when they go offensive line in this draft is going to be very, very interesting. Uh, because you know, we talked about how they think they feel good about it. We go back a couple pods ago and we talked about that position. Uh, they, there's this ground 12 support for the guys that are there. They need to be more aggressive in trying to fix that. And I, he's the type of guy that would seem to be a really nice fit, could play guard, could be your guard tackle type, can really do a lot of things for you and, and potentially be your answer there down the road. So I, I really like Robert Hunt. As a, as a snug fit when when you're looking at those guys that we went through. All right, that's some good loves there. Good good loves there. Jay, you've got stats, so let's get some Jay's got stats going. I do. Um, we'll, we'll start with the the one that the, the most intriguing thing is we all know Burrow's going number one overall, uh, pick thirty three, and so I went back and I looked through. Uh, going back to 2002, which was the year that they went to 32 teams, so that's when pick 33 became the first pick in the in the second round. Um, I went back and looked at all those guys taken um, with that pick, and it is it's not it's not a bunch of busts, but there's not a lot of big time hits there either. Uh, one guy out of the 18 has been named all pro and that was Landon Collins. He went 33 overall in, in 2015. Uh, two guys have been to pro bowls and Collins is one. He went to three and then DeMarco Ryan's way back in 2006. He went to two pro bowls and that's it. These other guys, Byron Murphy last year. I mean, maybe it's too early to, to, to go off these guys that have gone in the last couple drafts, but, uh, 
Kevin Dodd of the Titans in 2016 played 18 career games out of the league. Um, there, it's just it's it's not a very impressive list, and it, it feels like that's a spot where they could really get an impact player. And history kind of shows maybe not. Um, all those guys, those 18 guys, they averaged eight starts their rookie years. And there are guys that that started 16, um, but for the most part, nobody has come in and, and made an immediate impact the way you would hope at 33, and, and nobody's had the long-term success other than Landon Collins and DeMarco Ryan. So that that's concerning if you're if you're a Bengals fan. Maybe maybe that is an argument for the trade back at 33 and and just stock up on draft picks. Man, I I I got to tell you this if it were me, trade back is like what I'm doing 95% of the time if it's an option. I mm-hmm. I, I just we we went through that last week. Uh in the tandem draft, and when you really looked at it, the difference in what you can accomplish and what this team needs to accomplish, and what and you know the real how much of a difference there actually is when you get to moving back five to ten spots in the second round, and the fact that they've done it so much. There's a reason they've done it so much. You know, we had the press the Zoom call with Duke Tobin last week, and we asked him about that and he said you know it's it's a matter of we've it's not necessarily a strategy it's just one of opportunity well you if you take see the same opportunity three years in a row that's your strategy okay like that is Mm -hmm. because this is where the opportunity lies and you just when teams that want to come up are not going to want to be doing it on the clock with all the other bs going on um teams are going to be really interested in knocking that trade out at 4 p.m. on Friday instead of at 7:08. You know, it's just there's there's a big difference in that, and and I think what you can get and, and the little that you would lose. Again, this is under the assumption this is the conversation we'll be having Thursday night after we talk about whatever Joe Burrow had to say to us is what is who's available? Is there anybody on this board worth staying for if you have options to move back? Someone has to want to come up, but I'm really over the assumption that you will have somebody wanting to come up there, particularly a name to watch. And we've seen this happen a few times. We saw it happen in our mock draft uh, with the beat riders today. Is this Jordan love scenario? Watch for Jordan love or one of these quarterbacks. Who knows? to slide where teams that didn't get a quarter but now there's a whole day and you're okay they're at 33 you can team can come up for the quarterback because that's what people will come up for he seems the type of polarizing figure that somebody likes enough that they might be willing to try to use friday to find a way to come up and move up with the Bengals if a guy like love is still there is a guy who falls or who knows who knows but um particularly you would think him as a guy who could fall into that category that will be really, really interesting to watch. It really, because there's no intrigue for the Bengals on Thursday night. They're not going to move up. Hmm. You know, that's not going to be a thing that they're going to do. I would be, I would be stunned. I, I mean, they could. I would be stunned. They don't have a whole, they don't have draft capital. You know, there's, is there really somebody that they think is that much better? They're gonna, they, they want to add picks. They're, they're more likely to move back. They love the idea of sitting there at 33 and seeing who calls. So, you know, I to me that just seems like the number one thing that they could do. Yeah, and, and 
the, you talked about the the run of three years in a row trading that trading back in the second round. I mean, this is the year that you're number thirty three. You have the first pick. You've got all day. You know they're going to be getting offers all day. And I, I tried to ask Zach about this, and I kind of I screwed the question. I got tripped up over my words. I didn't ask it very well. But I mean, that's you, you can sit there and play other teams off of each other and say, well, they're offering this, and you've got all day to negotiate the best possible deal to move back at 33 as opposed to if you're picking later in the round and you've got, what is it? Is it 10 minutes per pick in the second round, I believe? I mean, you've got to make that decision in a hurry. And, and with them sitting there at 33, they've got all day to to figure out who's going to give them the best offer. I, it just it, it feels like that is going to happen unless, as we've mentioned, if Patrick Queen's sitting there, he's a guy – they're not going to pass on. They're not going to. They're not going to trade down on him. But I, I think a lot of almost everybody else would probably be in play to, to move back from thirty three and see what you get. Interesting thing. To, I know round. you've been looking at this, right? Is I mean, how many? But that you would think there would be more of it. How many times have teams actually traded back out of thirty three? Yeah, it's been very rare. Uh, I only found three. Um, most recent was two thousand fifteen. Uh, in 2017, it went the other way. The the Browns had 33, and they traded up and went to 27. But it, it you would. I was really surprised, and I'll be writing about this later. But it, I thought that that would be a prime trade spot, and you would be seeing a lot of it. And it, it really hasn't happened. And I don't know if that's because teams fell in love with the guy and didn't listen, or if if there isn't that big of a a phone barrage on, on all day Friday with people trying to move up to 33. There's so many good players, uh, draft capital so valued, you know, maybe, maybe teams are reluctant or not reluctant, but willing to take a chance and sit back and, and hope their guy falls. To we mentioned some of the intrigue on, uh, on Thursday night. It'll be Joe Burrow and, uh, well, for me, intrigue on his conversation with us and, uh, watching a, a few of these Tigers. And that includes Patrick Queen, whoever, which is a perfect time to bring in Brody Miller. I gotta tell you, if you suck around for this, it's gonna be worth your while. Some really great insight on Joe Burrow and a couple of stories that that Brody's not told yet. And uh, I, I thought this was a really enlightening conversation, not just on Burrow, but some other Bengals targets from LSU and, and who could move over with Burrow to the Bengals. So anyway, here is uh, here's the Athletics LSU writer, Brody Miller. All right, as we move forward here on here, that podcast ground, the, the draft is only uh, we're a few days away. It's really the last chance for Brody Miller to bask in the glory of the 2019 season. Uh, our, our guy covering LSU for the Athletic, who just absolutely crushed it last year uh, on an epic season, and this is this is going to be kind of the last cor- of many coronations that there's been for LSU when when a million Tigers come off the board, including Joe Burrow, number one overall to Cincinnati. So, first of all, Brody, uh, how are you doing? Have you come down off of uh, covering that season yet? Have you have you kind of tried to? Um, I've definitely come down off it. I made sure to uh, take basically just turn my brain off for a month. I'm sorry to our employers at the Athletic. I basically <laughs> didn't do a single damn thing for several weeks after that season was over. But hey, I probably won't cover another one like that. But I'm quickly reminded of the downsides of covering a season like this when. Uh, as we prepare for the NFL draft, as college writers have to write, you know, we're all writing kind of little mini profiles on every single player expecting to get drafted in the first two rounds. Well, 
for LSU, that means I have to write eight of these profiles. So, yeah, <laughs> I'm learning the downsides of uh, covering a good team. Yeah, and forced to come on podcasts like mine. Uh, even though I've, <laughs> even though I've, oh, we've already talked, we, we talked, um, uh, if people that are, have been our loyal, hear that podcast crowd and listeners would remember that you came on back in, I guess, November, right before the SEC title game and uh, right before the Heisman, and we talked all about Joe Burrow. Uh, at that point, not knowing if the Bengals would, uh, you know, totally royally screw it up in Miami as they almost did uh, in, in Week 16, uh, but still end up with number one pick. I am curious, you know, it, that was, you wrote a number of profiles, but one in particular was on Really, the rise of Burrow as as a leader and and those intangibles, really, and how he sort of won over LSU and I would argue the state of Louisiana as a whole. Uh, it was a really great piece. If you haven't read it, I highly recommend going back and doing it. If you're a Bengals fan, what was your what changed in for you in the way Joe Burrow was even viewed when? Everything that happened after that with the, the title run, the championship, and what has happened where he's been the most discussed person in this draft, obviously, for the last few months. What have been your impressions of everything that, that happened really s- since that time? Yeah, I'd say, I mean, I think most of the things that we, we talked about in November or December probably ring true still, but I think it was just an elevated, I hate talking like this, but almost like an elevated sense of invincibility from those last three games because it was you know Georgia which at that week at that time was considered the best defense in the country and then Clemson and then it was Clemson it's like that's the best defense in the country and it and you kind of just gathered this sense of invincibility of you know I actually (laughs) that's the first time I'm saying this publicly it might be in a story in a few weeks but Georgia actually had LSU's entire basically their game plan or their passing plan they had access to all of that and it was the number one defense in the country at the time and Joe Burrow just did whatever he wanted back there. It was kind of, it was, it, I mean, that game kind of stands out to me because it was the game that, you know, he was shaking off sacks like it was nobody's business. And it was the game that he just kind of like ran around the pocket, took his time and just, you know, threw it into eight man coverages because they were dropping eight guys back. So I just think it was kind of, it really just elevated this. It was the first time I really sat down and thought like, is this the best offense that college football has ever seen? I think that was when that started sinking in. So then, you have that, then the Oklahoma game, I think he threw seven touchdowns in the first half, which almost become it's like tenth on his list of accomplishments, which <laughs> it's one of the best halves I think football's ever seen. And then and then yeah, that championship game, which was kind of the perfect Joe Burrow moment in its own right, because it was the the one time you've really seen it was the only time all season they were down legitimately. They were down two scores. They hadn't even really been down all season. And to see them kind of come back and end up winning that game pretty convincingly, I think uh it's not anything that's new there, but it's just kind of this added sense of, I just don't know how, how you stop them. When you say Georgia had their game plan, what do you mean? From what I understand, uh, you know, either something got left around at a meeting or oh something, my. but Georgia pretty much had their whole, you know, passing chart and everything they were kind of going to do, at least from a passing point of view. And it was still an all-time bloodbath. So, yeah, I mean, that's uh, that kind of shows... And also, I got my favorite new Joe Burrow competitive story out of the, since the last time we talked. If, if you want that, I do want that. <laughs> Just for Cincinnati people to know what they're getting. So, so at the Peach Bowl, you know, they you know they had a lot of free time at bowl games and whatnot. They're playing a lot of games, and you know the LSU football team is playing a lot of ping pong. Now, Joe Burrow is pretty good at pretty much everything he does. Actually, 
for reference, the day before they did a basketball competition with Oklahoma, and Joe Burrow was the one who hit like I think it was ten straight threes and like thirteen or fifteen to beat Oklahoma, and even one on the buzzer beater. So just kind of adds to the Joe Burrow stories, right? So he's <laughs> kind of good at everything. And so they're playing ping pong with the team, and they're and Joe Burrow's just kind of beating everybody, right? Until he plays the 29-year-old punter, who's a former minor league baseball pitcher, and those guys know ping pong because they have a lot of free time, too. He loses to Zach Von Rosenberg, the punter. Joe Burrow is not okay with that. So, And I think he loses twice to him, and he just storms off, and he throws his paddle, and he's just livid. He just like can't handle losing in this scenario. And apparently one player said he, like, he, he stayed for the next four hours playing just because like, he just needed to like, whoop everybody else because he couldn't handle it. So... I hear this from the punter, right? So, and no one really knew this at the time. So I, I go up to Joe Burrow at the media scrum, uh, you know, before the Peach Bowl and I, I say, Hey, uh, I heard there were some, some ping pong games last night. He gives me the biggest death stare I've ever seen in my entire life. I mean, it wasn't like a, it wasn't like a haha, like, oh, who told you that? It was a, how dare you? How dare you bring this up in front of these people? I mean, it was, it was raw anger. So I'm like, well, I heard, uh, I heard Zach Von Rosenberg beat you. So he's like, who told you that? <laughs> like, not very seriously. And I'm like, you know, I think I'm just being playful. And I'm like, no comment. And he's like, oh, you know comment. I'm going to no comment if you know comment. At this point, he's laughing. But and eventually, so eventually he, like, kind of, like, realizes, like, okay, I need to actually be funny here. I can't be this mad right now in public. Right. So, so he's like, okay, well, I'll tell you this. I might have lost the ping pong, but there will be a game again. And I'm like, when's the next game? And he's like, the second we get back from this. So that's my new – oh, and then it's not over because then apparently he he goes – you know, they get on the bus or whatever. They're walking back to the hotel. I don't know what the setup was. And they're going back, and he goes up to the punter, Zach Von Rosenberg, and he says – am I allowed to curse here? Oh, yeah. <laughs> he goes up to the punter, and he said – well, he goes up to just the team and said, who the fuck told Brody Miller I lost a ping pong left? <laughs> <laughs> so – that is, I think, my my just best description of why Joe Burrow is Joe Burrow is because he is just that kind of competitive that it's almost compulsive. Brody, I knew there was a reason I had you back on this podcast. <laughs> I, I knew there was something. Not not just the forty five other guys that are going to get drafted from LSU this year, but that is that is fantastic because it, these you and this is kind of what you wrote about. But I mean, these stories have kind of become the stuff of legend. I mean, you just talk about. Everybody talks about his competitiveness and the intangibles that are off the charts. And those, I, I think, for fans, that is a really – and for, for any, anybody that for, – for myself from the outside, that's a really a hard thing to understand and quantify. But really, like, from everything, that really has was what set apart Joe Burrow and LSU last year was that – that drive and those intangibles kind of being the ultimate example of lifting all boats. Now, uh, there's a ton of other variables in there, a ton of other talent, and every we've talked uh, a, a ton about that. But, I mean, the lift all boats thing that is like the oldest cliche, this seems like it really is the perfect example of how Joe did that. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, and that's the only reason I, I will ever make, like, a Tom Brady parallel with Joe Brady, with Joe Burrow. It's not because of football ability or anything like that. It's Tom Brady doesn't become the best quarterback of all time as a seventh-round pick if he's not this almost obsessive, compulsive, just kind of crazy person competitor, right? Like, that's that's how you get there. And, and Joe Burrow does not go from, 
you know, pretty middle of the road SEC quarterback with a lot of flaws to top five college quarterbacks we've seen at least in this generation without just having that just in, insane, compulsive, just hostile competitiveness that, that he literally can't let things go. So, you know, if he, if he's not like that, he doesn't have that off season where he elevates his game so much. He doesn't have that drive where he spends just absurd hours sitting in meeting rooms with Joe Brady and Steve Ensminger basically concocting his offense, the three of them. I mean, he doesn't have those players-only meetings, he calls, that are placed with players-only practices with his receivers every week, you know, just to get timing down and basically teach them this new offense. I, I just... That 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 is the 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 secret ingredient that's kind of hard to replicate with what Joe Joe Burrow's done. And it's to be really fascinating to see how that applies here. You know, we, we know uh, that the Bengals have used all their time that you possibly can in these in these Zoom FaceTime conversations with Burrow, and we know that they're going over the Bengals playbook because and you and you know Joe Burrow's embracing every second of that. I'll be really curious to see what a virtual off season looks like when when Joe is trying to learn the playbook and what that looks like and and involving and him getting to know. It's going to be kind of a fascinating process where we could more document it easily um, if it was a normal off season and they're there at camp and we can see them work at extra time or just doing these meetings but, but this is going to be kind of fascinating to see how they all go about it and, and he tries to you know recreate his strategy of, of winning over a, a locker room like he like he did in LSU I have this one question for you I don't know if you know the answer but I'm curious if you if Joe Burrow could pick who do you think would be the one player from LSU's offense that he would bring with him to Cincinnati yeah, so I think there's there's actually two pretty clear answers there. Probably, I mean, sure, I think he'd be very happy with a Justin Jefferson just to have a great receiver like that. But you know, when, you, when you mix all the factors, right? I think it's probably two players jump out. I'd say Claude Edwards-Helaire would be obvious. I, I doubt that works out. You know, obviously, I've seen I, I read all your guys' stuff. I, I doubt that's likely. But Claude Edwards-Helaire is probably Joe's best friend on the team. He's obviously a very versatile back. Would be a great check down back to you know, a great. I would imagine a great you know side side piece with, with Joe Mixon and whatnot. But, yeah, I think that would be probably who he'd pick. And then the next one I'd say is just from a, when you're, again, combining all the factors, is Thaddeus Moss, the tight end, is probably his other best friend on the team. And obviously, I mean, he'd be a pretty good – now, he has injury you know, concerns, and I'm sure you know that better than me, but I think I think he'd be somebody who Joe Burrow really trusts. He's a really good blocker, and he's definitely just a mature guy who I think, you know, obviously he's the Randy Moss's son. He, I think he'll probably succeed in the NFL just from kind of knowing how to handle himself. I have been – connecting Moss to the Bengals in those late rounds a lot. <laughs> well, it, it, because of those reasons, you know, and it's like, it's, it's, it's an easy, if you know, he's, you know, the fact that they're such good friends is, is on top of, adds to it. I, I've thought the whole time that they will try to find somebody to come from LSU with Joe Burrow. It just, it just feels like something that they would attempt to do. And that's, a, that he's a, he's a fit, you know, a, as a guy that can kind of do everything, he didn't drop a ball, you know, just a consistent target. And whether he has some super high upside, you know, they, he's going to come in as the third tight end in that room. It, it, it's, it's not, it's not some like big risk to say that, that, that makes sense, especially if Moss is a guy that is just sitting there on day three and it's the sixth round and you can bring one of Joe Burrow's best friends and one of his favorite targets into a, into a tight end room that needs some depth. It's like, that has always made sense to me. Um, I want to add, well, I guess I, while I'm on that, you, Steven Sullivan uh, is sort of in that same what, late round, you know, type of 
guy who's a tight end and didn't get as much run. Why, why didn't he get as much run? What happened with him? Yeah, I mean, he's the ultimate kind of interesting story of that season, kind of lost piece there because, so he was a very good, you know, just outside receiver, very solid outside receiver for about three years. I mean, I think he always, he always got some targets pretty much every year of his career. You know, he's a huge six, 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 seven, long guy, good athlete, all that, but the offense was pretty much a mess, as you know, and just never, never really jumped out, never really elevated himself, but was always, I mean, they'll tell you he was one of the better kids on the team and things like that. And, so then this year he was going to be the tight end. He was going to be kind of this, you know, Joe Brady's new scheme, going to be that true tight end. And basically what two things happened. Thad Moss just kind of surprised them. Honestly, I think Thad Moss was such an injury concern. His reputation was more of just like a pure receiver, all that. And he showed he's actually, you know, one of the better blocking tight ends in this draft and all of that. And I think really surprised them that he just kind of took that role and ran with it. And he had Joe, Joe Burrow's trust, which we learned is essential in that offense. So it kind of became Stephon Sullivan just became this extra, this guy who was like, all right, he's not going to crack that top. You know, he's, he was probably their fourth receiver, but he's not going to crack that that main group because that that, that three was all going to be first two round, first day picks. You know, the NFL one day, and then you know he's, he's he got some time at tight end. He obviously saw the field quite a bit, but he was never the main tight end because of Moss. So he just kind of got lost, but. Yeah, he's a guy who probably needs to be worked with a good amount in the NFL, but he has massive upside. I mean, he's a really good kid. He's a he's a great athlete. He's huge. So, I mean, you would imagine if he goes to the right place that actually knows how to handle him, you'd imagine that he could actually have some uh, – might be able to be a little surprise value pick late in the draft. Yeah. I think there's a – he's the other side where, of that where it's like, well, if you're looking for high upside, you know, where that's where you go, where Moss maybe feels more like the high floor – Type maybe of those of those two. I, I want to. We we need to talk about Patrick Queen because the Bengals still don't have a functioning linebacker. Um, the the idea that Patrick Queen will be there at thirty three. You never know what will happen on draft day, and you particularly never know what will happen with devalued positions like like linebacker can be. Um, so maybe he is there at thirty three. Patrick Queen versus Devin White. How close is it? Is it at all close? It's a great question. So, I mean, it's somewhat close. I mean, when you view it from the prism of they're both going to be first round picks, I mean, the margin can't be that big, right? But, I mean, here's the thing I'd say Devin White was a two and a half, three year starter. So, Devin White's just a little more polished. Devin White's got a little more, well, Devin White's definitely got more size on him. And it's probably more comfortable because Devin White basically is this thing where like he was what Patrick Queen was last year, and Patrick Queen might have been better at doing. Like, here's, let's put it this way: I think I think junior year Patrick Queen was probably better than sophomore year Devin White. I think that's actually a fair thing to say. But then Devin White and Dave Aranda got together and like really worked on his run fits, really worked on being more physical, going through the offensive line, all those things, and he really grew at that. And that's why I think he's just a little more complete. Well, Patrick Queen is a freak athlete and so good in space. And, I mean, I've never – I can't even think I've ever seen a college linebacker, you know, catch a Travis ATN on a screen from behind. That's just – that's not something you can draw up. So, yeah, he has all those skills, but I just think, you know, he probably needs to – you know, he'll tell you he needed to work on his run fits, and that's why he wasn't even the opening day starter this season. You know, I think he just kind of probably needs to get a little more physical inside the – well, I shouldn't say more physical. There's some ridiculous tape of him running over offensive guards, but probably seems to get a little bit better inside the box. That's all I'd say. But yeah, the margin isn't huge. 
I, I mean, I, I think everybody would be stunned if he was there at, at 33, but if he was, the Bengals would certainly feel like the big winners if they could come away with, uh, arguably the top two players from LSU's national title team. And, and the thing I'd say with him is if that worked out, just for Bengals listeners, I mean, I would say, this might, I would say that LSU coaches would tell you he might be the number one just like character guy on the team. Like, I remember I was talking to an LSU staffer like three weeks ago just about some other player and, and he was, you know, a guy with character issues or something and he was just kind of like, he used this term, he was just kind of like, yeah, I mean, not every guy can be Patrick Queen, you know? Like, yeah. and he was saying not every guy can't, doesn't have problems. Like, he is the poster child for just like, one of the best kids on the team. So that's all I just kind of toss it. And important stuff in the, you know, I, I've not been around a coaching staff that cares more about that stuff. Now, not that others don't, and maybe some do care more, but I've not been around coaches that talk more about caring about, uh, character and work ethic and guys that work hard on top of everything else. I mean, it's, 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 it is a common thread through almost every, almost everything that they do as far as personnel around here now. Um, it's kind of a Zach Taylor staple. So guys like that, you know, it could be that, that to me would be the difference between if, if you were close on Patrick Queen versus Kenneth Murray or something like that. And you know, that this dude is exemplary character, you know, that that's the type of thing that could set him apart. Um, I'll wrap you with this because the Bengals always need offensive line help, and there's a lot of these guys from LSU that you would say, okay, middle of the draft. Who do you think of their offensive linemen that are in here will have the best NFL career? Yeah, I think I actually, you know, I, I hate to be, you know, I think there's, because I want to be clear, I think there's some players in this draft that, like, I can actually see failing. I could see all three of those guys, the main guys in this draft, actually succeeding in the NFL. Lloyd Cushenberry is probably going to be the first or second off center we're picking the draft, right? I mean, and and he's somebody who is he was given LSU's number eighteen, which goes to the you know usually to like the top character guy, the top leader, you know, best on and off the field guy on the team. He's a guy who was literally a two star or three star no name prospect. Before the 2018 season, even Ed Ogeron said, like, I don't think we have a center. And then, like, he ended up becoming an all-SEC center. So, yeah, he's just kind of your perfect perfect leader kind of guy. Really good athlete. Like, if you look at his build, it's just he looks almost more like a, you know, like a a 3-4 defensive end or something like that. But he's a really good athlete. Pretty, he probably needs to get stronger and bigger and all those things. But I think he's somebody who will be a really successful center. And I imagine will probably go to a good team just based on kind of what, what I've seen. Uh, I think Damian Lewis is the guy who it's kind of funny that Cushenberry has jumped ahead of because if, you know, James Craig's LSU's offensive line coach and he's a guy who spent quite a hefty portion of his career as an NFL offensive line coach and, you know, he would tell you since 2018 that he's actually the guy who, like, he thinks is just pro ready. He's, he's the guy who thinks the best lineman on the team. He thinks of a long NFL career, all those things. Now, he is just your definition of, like, your offensive guard mauler. I mean, he is a big Mississippi guy who can just drive people to the ground. So I imagine he probably needs to maybe sharpen his, you know, pass protection, things like that. You know, probably get a little, you know, he probably doesn't have the best flexibility and kind of nimbleness and things like that. But I just don't, I think he's kind of goes in the high floor category of, I'm pretty sure he's going to play in the NFL for a long time. I don't know if he's ever going to be an all pro. And then the wild card one is, is Sadiq Charles because Sadiq Charles is a really good athlete. He played offensive tackle at LSU pretty much his whole career, but he's not exactly huge. I think I want to say six two, six three maybe. I could be completely wrong on this, but 
he's a really good athlete, and he was a very good off- SEC offensive tackle. But I think he's actually made to be a really good NFL guard if he goes to the right place. Because listen, he does have character issues. That's just a fact. He was suspended oh, pretty much every year for different, you know, <laughs> drug. Now to be clear, because there's always a tricky line with character. Because there's the there's the you know the drug kids, and then there's the, like actual troublemakers. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah he he wasn't a troublemaker or anything like that. But yeah, I mean he got like multiple times he got suspended for for you know <laughs> the drug tests, and and this year was six games. He missed six games because he was a repeat offender. So that can't really be left out of the equation with him. That you know he, he kind of couldn't get that fixed. But he's a guy who I think if you get all that in in line, you get him focused. I mean. It's just from an athletic ability and just a talent ability. I mean, I think he'd be a really good NFL guard. So many prospects. I can't even, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not even going to get to all of them. We're just going to, like, there's just, uh, you, you will stay busy, I'm sure, on draft night. And um, I hope everybody is staying safe for you and yours uh, down in New Orleans. And you can, uh, now you can just write stories on how are the Tigers going to replace insert top draft pick here. You're going to have, like, a million of those stories now to write throughout uh, however long this offseason uh ends up being uh brody i appreciate the time as always it was a fantastic great insight and uh i i next time we have you on i want more cursing only only one major okay. f-bomb i just want you to know that the the bar has been set and i expect i expect more out of you next time <laughs> absolutely thanks for having me man here's my question for you I was raised a Bengals fan, but I covered Joe Burrow. What, what's the timeline for when it's normal for me to theoretically root for a Bengals fan? I, you, you should start rooting right now. I, I mean, you're allowed, if you were a Bengals fan, you are allowed I know, to root. But it's weird. It's weird because I'll be like rooting for a guy I directly covered for. Two you did, years. but you're not covering him anymore. Now <laughs> you're not covering him anymore. You're just you're rooting for. It's all laundry. We're all just rooting for laundry. So you know, if he happens to be the one wearing the laundry, uh, that's what you're rooting. You you can immediately transfer over the, the moment that uh, he ends up on Roger Goodell's uh, Zoom is is the moment I think that that you can be fanboy. Okay, fair enough. Appreciate it. Right, thanks so much for having me, Paul. It was always fun. Talk to you later, Brody. All right, much thanks to uh, Brody for joining us. And good news, good news on that on uh, the case of the ping pong story. Bengals very notably have a ping pong table, uh, and so if Joe Burrow has really cleaned up his game and is refusing to lose to anybody and wants to be a dynamo, I think the quarterback room because Ryan Finley's a pretty good. Uh, Ping pong player, Burrow versus Finley, uh, could be quite a showdown once Burrow gets here and if he's really on top of his game. Yeah, Dalton was one of the best too, so that maybe there's a, a vacancy there. It'll, it will be Burrow and Finley. The, Finley was really good. I was surprised watching him. That was one thing he did well last year. But you know, that, that, you know, when you talk, tell stories about that in the, in the type of competitiveness that you have to have, it's really the, a defining trait, and it's one that we've talked about, and it's hard for people to wrap their brains around, you know, and, you know, he, he ushered the word Tom Brady, and I know he said he's not going to do that in any other vein. It's just in that vein, you know, what makes Tom Brady pick 199 Tom Brady? It's, it's competitiveness. It's, it's that special mm-hmm. intangibles and the competitiveness that makes guys that, you know, are not as physically impressive like Joe Burrow. Um, and makes them play, have seasons like he just had, or it makes guys like Tom Brady who don't necessarily wow you go out there and win games and wow you. It's competitiveness. It's leadership. It's, it's all that other stuff. 
And in those stories, the stuff that you hear from Brody there, I, I think it really goes a long way to telling some of that side of the story if you haven't heard that side of the story yet. Um, and it's that stuff of legend down there now at this point. Uh, great stuff from Brody. Thanks so much to him for joining us, not just now, but, uh, back in the day. And like you said, he's, his family's from around here. He's like, he grew up a Bengals fan. He's trying to figure out when to transition. When's, when's he allowed to go from reporter to, to, I think the mo, I, like I said, the moment, the moment that Joe Burrow becomes a Bengal, he's allowed to, he's allowed to root for him like a fan. Yeah, I would think you so. Can, you can let it go. His work here is done. We'll, we'll yeah. take the unbiased, well uh, torch. Uh, on Thursday night, um, <laughs> run passer boot time. Jay, what do you what do you got for run passer boot? Yeah, we we've talked about trades. Um, it feels like the Bengals are gonna trade at some point during the draft. Um, I before I give you the choices, I went and I looked. They they made three draft day trades last year: one in twenty eighteen and two in twenty seventeen. So six in the last three years. In the 47 years of the franchise before that, a grand total of 10 with never more than one in any given season. So, run pass or boot, how many trades do the Bengals make during the draft? Is it zero or one? Is it two? Or is it three or more? I, I will say a big reason for all those trades was they had all those picks. It did so many picks the last few years. I mean, even before they started trading and adding. Um, But, yeah, I I think they're clearly going to try to move out. But, you know, if you go back to 2016, seven picks, took their seven, went home. And no trades or, or anything like that. So... I think when they have more picks, they're certainly more looking to do more deals to to find a way to make that work for them. I don't think they'll be as active as some might think. I I, I honestly think it's that it's thirty three and it's one hundred eight. And to me, it's a matter of if they trade one hundred eight or just sit there and, and take it. And I don't know how much offer they'll get. So I'm gonna run with zero to one. I think they do move out of thirty three. Uh, but I, and, and add a, you know, a fourth or something like that. But I think that's it. I think that's the only trade they end up making. Um, and I think they just take their pick and the rest of the spots. And so, but I, I, uh, so I will pass on two because I think there's also a chance that they will move out of 108, uh, on, on Saturday. And then I'll boot, I'll boot three or more. I don't, I don't think they get, they get that active. Yeah, I'll agree with you on the boot. Um, I don't think there's three or more. Uh, I'm going to run with two, though, just because it, it makes sense being at the top of each round to to move back once or twice. But you also have the other variables of, of a possible Andy Dalton trade or a possible Billy Price trade. Um, I just think even though they only have seven picks, I, I think there's there's opportunities there to make multiple trades and kind of going on, on recent history, even though – the last three years, it has been a, a surplus of picks that kind of led to that. Um, I think there'll be two, and then I'll pass on zero to one, and I'll, I'll boot three or more as well. No, you make a good point. I mean, if you you start throwing in a, a one or two of those, if they get enamored with a prospect or whatever, or find a find a taker for for a guy like Price, mm-hmm. uh, you know, also intrigued to watch. You now we keep telling you things to really be watching on Thursday. Watch Patrick Queen. Uh, and Kenneth Murray as well, see if they slide. Uh, watch Jordan Love to see if he slides because there could be intrigue for people to come up. 
Um, watch the Dallas Cowboys, and if they get a center in the first round and then again in the second, if they show up on day three and they didn't take a center yet, there could be a chance that the, a call could be made uh, in on, on a trade for Billy Price there. But that's going to be something to watch because there's options for them there, mm-hmm. but they've got a lot of holes too. So, But anyway, if you're looking for things to watch, keep an eye on the Cowboys there. That could have some Bengals fallout. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, we have done so many of these. I just, I'm just so happy that we're going to have something to actually talk about um, for, for a little while. Lord knows we're going to stretch it out as long as we can because then we don't know when we're going to have something to talk one about more again. <laughs> one more thing to keep an eye on. Um, I, I got the Jimmy Shapiro, the draft odds, and they've got all these weird yes. props. And uh, as I as I sit here, like most of these pods during quarantine, barefoot, um, <laughs> one of the props is how many first-round draft picks will be seen on TV wearing a tie. Oh, what do you think that number is? What do you think that over-under is? Oh, the over-under on a tie? Hmm. Three. Oh, yes, exactly. Hammer the under. The No, the, the line is 20 and a half. What? Those guys are not going to be sitting around wearing ties at home in their living rooms. It's not like they're going to put on their suits like they do when they hold the draft remotely. I, I, that one stunned me. Twenty and a half is the over under on draftees seen in a tie for the whole week for the whole Take weekend. The First round. Wow. Go to Vegas now. Well, don't go to Vegas. Just go online and make your prop bets from your living room. That is. <laughs> I was going to say, how many will we see without shoes? How many will we see in sweatpants? <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Yes, exactly. Wow, twenty. Maybe I'm. Maybe I'm wrong. I mean, maybe I'm so far off. I mean, Vegas doesn't tend to be that off. I just cannot imagine you're going to have those guys sitting around in suit. But maybe they bought one. You know. Yeah, you Maybe they it. bought one for this, and they're like, oh, I, I want to wear it. I'm going to be on national television, put on my tie, I guess. Wow. To- sweatpants over under is what? What's your sweatpants over under? Um, Now, I'm going to count people in the background. Oh. Well, sweatpants I, spotted. The sweatpants spotted. On the Thursday night <laughs> broadcast. That's what I want. Sweatpants spot on the Thursday night broadcast. Let's do a, let's, let's do a Bengals growler bet on this. Do, do the, like the Brett Favre Zubaz, do those count as sweatpants? Yeah, that's true. We're going to get into some very hazy definitions. I, I would say those would count. Yes. Leisure, very, okay. I would say on the soft end of leisure wear. I, I mean, we, you know, I'm talking. Yeah, it's got to be sweatpants, Zubaz. Yeah, those those types of things. It has to be pretty apparent. So, there's definitely gonna, there's a there's a brother, there's a cousin, like there's <laughs> definitely you know maybe even a guy who's just like a sweatpants and flip flops dude, you know. Because we don't always get to see all of the these guys. Of- we don't. A lot of them just like, oh, I go out on, you know, <laughs> no. I go fishing instead of watching the draft and wait for a call. Or or they're at the draft, so they do dress up. But the guys that just stay home, give me give me, uh, give me, me six. Give me six sweatpants spotted on Tuesday night. In the, in the first, first round? On, okay. Oh, in, Thursday on night? Thursday um, oh, I'll go way, 
way higher. I'll go 15. 15 pairs of sweat. Not, not just, you're talking not just players, but anybody in the room, in the shot. In the room, sweatpants spotted on Thursday night's broadcast. That would include if Goodell came out in sweatpants, which I am totally for. <laughs> that would be awesome. If Goodell came out in sweat, sweatpants and one of those like little leisure hoodies, some, 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 some nice Goodell basement casual wear. What's Goodell's background <laughs> in his basement going to look? Is it just going to be, you think, an Ooh, NFL yeah. background? Or is, he, is it just going to be like the books that he owns? Will, will we see something weird? Will we start, start doing like Zapruder films on zooming in on what exactly he has back there? I feel like he's going to have some special he NFL has a backdrop, sense of humor. probably. Yeah, well, I was thinking if he has a sense of humor, it'll be just a crowd shot with people's hands cupped over their mouth yes. booing. I really do like the fact that there's going to be, you know, possibilities for fans to be involved. So they can still boo him. You know, like, first of all, if you yeah. want to raise money for charity, like, how much would you pay to be able to be like a, doing a single boo? Like, you are the only one. You, how much would you pay? Like, if you were just unaffiliated and you just love the idea of booing Roger Goodell, what is your number that you would pay in a silent auction if it was just the screen would be you? And Goodell at the beginning of the NFL draft side by side and you get 15 seconds to boo your heart out. How much would you pay for that? I wouldn't pay anything, but somebody <laughs> would pay a lot of money. I think it'd be, that'd be legendary stuff, man. You would be a legend. The booer, the Goodell booer guy. I mean, I don't know. I guess it depends on your bank account. Uh, but somebody out there with some money is gonna, would drop thousands on that. That's what I'd be selling. Or have like a group of 10. Sell it. Give it to, give it to, you know, charity. I like it. They are trying to raise right, money. Six sweatpants. Keep an eye. So if you're listening to this and you're watching on Thursday night, if you can help us keep an eye on how many sweatpants are spotted Thursday night. And by the way, also I saw the, uh, the over under on three and a half dogs. Pound the over. That's over. Pound the over. It's going to be dog heaven. There's going to be dogs everywhere. Yes. So the over-under on cats was a half. Even if people didn't want their dogs in the shot, you can't control those dogs. They're just <laughs> running through. They're jumping on a couch. That's my spot on Thursday nights. Look, you know, we're watching Law & Order reruns. That's me. So don't say those dogs are not going to just move just because you got cameras in the house. Pound the over. No, when you got people that own multiple yeah. dogs. Oh, yeah, it's over. Uh, all right, good stuff. It has been so much fun doing the draft run up. I hope everybody has enjoyed it. Uh, draft strategy series again, the ninety day free trial, uh, deals and subscriptions, all when you click through on any of the stories. Uh, so just go there. You can follow us on Twitter. You see all that stuff. Uh, comments in the podcast now. If you have comments about anything we talk about in here, drop them in the in the forum. Uh, below uh, on on the podcast on The Athletic. And again, we will have podcast wraps each night after each day of the draft and then our full wrap-up next week at our normal time. So keep it locked. We have you totally covered. Uh, everything in The Athletic. Uh, we, we hope you subscribe for this. We, we would definitely make it worth your while. And thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, so we'll talk to you next time on Hear the Podcast Ground. Mm-hmm.